have hardened hearts towards his role in their lives and who he wants to be and the invitation that he's giving them for eternal life and salvation. So we're going to pick up from that moment. You know, if you can think of, um, of the high that he, Jesus and, and Lazarus and all of them are on from the fact that Lazarus just got ro- risen from the dead. So they're, they're pretty pumped, they're excited, and now they're coming into the city of Jerusalem for the Passover, which is a huge celebration where tens of thousands of people are coming into the city. So there's, there's a lot going on right here. And um, Jesus and his disciples, including uh, Lazarus, Lazarus and his family, um, come in. And so we're going to pick it up in um, verse 12 of chapter 12. So if you would stand, and we'll read through verse 36. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of peace, the prince of this world, will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a while longer. While you Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. May God add his blessings to this word this morning. You may be seated. 
So have you ever had something really precious or something um, really exciting going on, but you had to keep it a secret? Maybe it was a surprise party for someone close to you, and you had to prepare and plan, but yet you couldn't let them know what was going on. Maybe um, you had a gift for somebody, and you, you, you got it like months in advance, but you couldn't give it to them yet, but you just wanted them to, to see it because you knew it would make them so happy, and you wanted to share it with them. When I was thinking about this kind of a situation in my own life, I thought of um, the whole idea of getting engaged and my um, whole decision to marry Christina and, and get engaged to her. And, and I just think how, how fun of an experience that is, right? How, how exciting of a moment it is. But yet the whole point of an engagement in some respects is to, to be able to surprise the girl, right? To... to just spring it on her, be a little bit spontaneous. And, and maybe you planned it that way, and maybe it didn't go that way for you. But in our case, you know, I was like, okay, Christina, you know, she doesn't like surprises that much, but this is going to be a surprise because I want it to be. And I bought the ring, so there we go. Um, but I also knew that I wanted it to be special for her, right? And so it was the end of February, and um, she had just come off of um, a horrendous babysitting experience. I think she was there all weekend before, and it was, it was pretty rough. And so she was wiped out, and, and we were both still in college, and, um, and we were talking, and I was like, you know what? We need to go do something. We need to like, go do something fun and just get away and, and be spontaneous. And so I was like, let's go to New York City. And she's like, oh, that'd be great. I want to go to New York City. And I was like, and let's catch a Broadway show. That would be so fun. And she's like, yes. And so here I am thinking I'm all sly and slick because I'm like, sweet. I just got her to New York City randomly. And she thinks it's just for fun. And we're just having a date. And this would be great. And I had already had the, the ring. So I was like, OK. I was looking for the moment. And so the day comes. And uh, it was February 28th. And we go um, up to New York City, take the ferry across. We walk around and um, see some sights, and um, we make our way to the, the theater where the show is going to be because they had, like, these discounted tickets. So, I mean, you know, I just bought an engagement ring, all right? So I'm a little cheap. It's all right. And so, uh, you know, but it didn't work out, so we didn't get the discounted tickets. But, you know, I stepped up. I paid full price. We got, we got in. And um, we had a, a couple hours before, um, before the show, and I'm all nervous. You know, it had been... All day long, um, just trying to keep my cool, you know, because it was a warmer day in New York City, so I'd, I, I just had jeans, a shirt, and a light jacket on, and I just had the ring in my pocket, you know, and like, so I was just constantly, like, not trying to, like, bend my knees, because every time I bent, you could see, like, this box shape right here, and I was like, okay, you know, like, it's good, and, you know, trying to be all cool and keep it secret, and um, so we only had a couple hours, and we had to eat dinner. And we had to make it to Rockefeller Center because that's one place we both agreed we wanted to see. And I was like, all right, that's where, you know, that's where I'm going to propose. And um, so we're like, okay, well, where do you want to go? And we're like, you know, Times Square is right over here. And now before I disclose where we ate, I would just like to make a disclaimer that, you know, this is a restaurant my wife likes. And there are restaurants like this that I've heard others in this, in this uh, audience say that they enjoy. So, you know. Pull the speck out of your own eye or whatever, the log out of your own eye before you hurt me, right? So I take her to McDonald's in Times Square, 
and um, <laughs> we get our we get our cheeseburgers on, and it's you know very romantic, let me tell you. And um, you know we're we're upstairs in their seating area, and um, we're hanging out eating eating our McAdees, and, um, and I'm like. Like, I'm just scarfing my food down. Like, it's, like, gone. And she's, like, taking one bite. And I'm, like, aren't you eating? Like, come on. Because <laughs> I'm, like, getting nervous. I'm getting excited about, you know, and make sure we got time. I don't know how long it takes to propose. I've never done that before. And, you know, we're, like, okay, okay. And I'm kind of, like, being, like, are you eating? Are you eating? And she's, like, yes, I'm eating. Like, what's your problem? Nothing. I'm cool. Everything's fine, you know? Like, and so I'm rushing. And she's kind of getting annoyed. And so finally we finish. And we go to Rockefeller Center, and I'm like, okay, this is the moment, you know? This is, been trying to play it right all day, make it nice, good time, and um, we're looking around, and um, I'm looking for, like, the flags that relate to her, her parents, they're Italian and Lithuanian, so I'm, we're looking for their flags, I'm like, that might be a cool place to do it, and, and I'm looking around, I'm like, man, there are a lot of people around here, I'm not a big crowd person, but that's okay, and um, so we finally find a spot, like, right across from uh, the Christmas tree there that's up, and, you know, I get down on one knee, and I start my proposal, and I think, how amazing, right? Like, finally, I get to the point. I get on my knee, and I'm, I'm showing her the ring. I'm saying, here it is. She finally gets to know what this whole day is about, you know? I've been going through this whole day thinking, like, I'm getting engaged today. Like, my family knows it. Her parents know it. Luckily, they signed off on it, so it was all good, and so we're all excited, but she didn't get have that joy all day long. This is the moment when I get to now include her in my plan for our lives, and hopefully her plan too. And so it makes me think about Jesus and his walk, right? Jesus came for a purpose. He came with a proposal. He said, I want to be your Messiah. I want to be your Savior. And his whole walk is about getting us to that moment where he gets on his knee and he says, look, I'm willing to give my life for you. I was just giving her a ring. But Jesus, he wants to give his life. And how frustrating at times it must have been for him, right? I mean, this was a good frustration. You know, I couldn't tell her because I wanted her to be surprised. But Jesus' frustration, that he just, he wants us to get it. He wants us to be able to share in this moment. And he can't just say, hey, I'm your savior. This is how it's going to roll. All right, come follow me, you know. Because they're looking for a savior that's going to be coming and established in a kingdom. They're not looking for a savior who's coming to die on a cross. And so in order for him to be able to get there, he's got to keep it all inside. He's got to mask. He's got to disguise. He's got he's to play it safe, right? And that's why we see him so many times. He, he gives these grand you know, speeches, and then the next thing you know, he's like gone. And he disappears. Because it's not yet his time. It's not the right moment. And how many times does he escape because actually people do get really upset with him and do want to take him out? And he's like, no, You're like, I know I need to die, but not now. And so he, he runs away and he hides. And, he, and it's constantly this game for him of how do I engage? How do I get people 
to accept my invitation of salvation, but yet not, not present myself in a way that isn't who I am, not present myself in a way that just feeds to their desires and their expectations for who I am, but present myself as who I am and obedient to God's call. And, and I'm not jealous of the man at all, let me tell you, because that's a hard task. I know how hard it was for me, right? And it's a good thing to keep that quiet all day long. And this man, he had to do it for years. And he had to do it with intense pressure to engage and become this Messiah that they wanted. But he knew wouldn't work for their lives and the lives of others who come after him. And so he walks. So from there we go to this moment when he's coming into Jerusalem. When he walks into the temple area and the people are just, they're excited. They are pumped because he just raised a man from the dead and they want to see him, you know? And, and there's this great reception that he gets from them. And he deserves it, right? Like he's, he's their Messiah. Like he, he deserves to be praised. He deserves to be worshiped. And they, and they shout, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. And so there's this acknowledgement of who he is. And if you... Um, heard Josh's video and him talking about the word Hosanna, right? That it it's, means Savior. And so they're, they're, they're saying, Savior, God, save us, right? And yes, they're worshiping, and yes, they're praising him, but in the same word in which they're worshiping and praising him, they're also expressing their expectation of him in Jerusalem. They're saying, save us now. Come be our Savior right here in this moment. Because what they have read of the Old Testament, what they are understanding of the scriptures, is that he's going to live forever. He is coming to establish an eternal kingdom, and they want it, right? They're hurting for it. They're tired of the Romans. They're tired of all this other stuff. They want a Savior who comes and rules. But if you remember back to the Old Testament, way back before even kings, the people got frustrated. They were disgruntled. And they end up asking and requesting for a king to rule them, right? Because having God rule over them and speaking through prophets and speaking through godly men wasn't good enough. And so they wanted to look like other nations. They wanted to look like other things. And so they ask for a king. And here, in this very passage, we see yet again that they are unable to view past their worldview of what a king is. And that's what they want. They want a king. And Jesus again says, no, like I'm not here to be your earthly king. I'm here to be your spiritual king. I'm here to be the king, the son of God. And that means that I must die on the cross. It's tough, right? When you expect someone to act a certain way and they don't follow through. It's not very easy to be okay with that, is it? If you know Christina, I... I think you would also know that if I was to just kind of, I don't know, show up at her house, knock on her door and be like, hey, you're hot, let's get married, probably wouldn't go over so well, right? (laughs) Pretty sure that would not be the expectation she would have of that moment when she was asked to join in a covenanted relationship with someone. And it's the same moment, right? They're frustrated because they're looking at the Messiah And they're saying, you need to save us. 
And he's like, yeah, I know, but I'm not going to do it how you want me to. And so they're giving this praise to him, right? They're shouting Hosanna, and they're all excited, even to the point where the Pharisees, right, say, why bother, right? They give up. The Pharisees, they're done because they see all this pomp and circumstance around Jesus that they're like, the whole world has decided to go with him. And their whole effort has been to save their people from following Jesus because they think he's a sham, right? And so they are like, all right, he wins. Ironically, though, we see a couple days later that these are the very people who give, it, give the command to end his life. And so there's this huge juxtaposition of people who have fought so much against the very person that they need in their life. They have invested so much time and so much energy in making Jesus be something he's not and then ridiculing him and putting him down for not being what they think they need. And yet you see Jesus through this picture of this back and forth with these people. And not once do you see that he doesn't love them. After we get through this scene of um, the triumphal entry, John goes to this part um, where he shows that it's not just the Jews who have a relationship with Jesus. And he talks about... um, the Gentiles, and they, they come in in verse 20, and, and it's interesting to see the difference between how the Jews are responding to Jesus entering the city and how the Gentiles respond. Now, these Gentiles are probably God-fearing Gentiles. They're, they're ones who have um, heard the story of God and see the nation of Israel, and they come and they try to participate in the festivals um, to what the laws permit them to do. And so... They have interest in who Jesus is. And in verse 20, they come and they approach not Jesus, but Philip, a disciple of Jesus's. And Philip then goes to Andrew, and then Philip and Andrew go to Jesus. And they ask Jesus if he be willing to meet with them. And in true Jesus form, right, because he likes parables and he likes to be confusing, right, he, he shares um, the illustration of a kernel of wheat falling to the ground. And here we, we really read about um, the hour that is coming and him being glorified on the cross. He gets it. Jesus knows, and right here he explains what's the difference. See, they want a man to stand up and reign, and provide salvation. But he knows that if he doesn't die, that's all they're going to get. They'll get Jesus for a period of time, and that'll be it. Because he's, that's what they want. They want the king, right? Kings die. Kings move on. New kings rise up. They want a king by earthly standards, and that's not how Jesus works. He works by the standards of his father, and the father has different standards than just an earthly king. The the heavenly father has a huge 
picture of what salvation looks like in our lives and in our hearts. And it's way beyond our comprehension, and it's way beyond the comprehension of those interacting with Jesus. And he says, I must die so that many can be saved. I must go so that more, better things can come. But they don't get it. The next thing to happen is, it's pretty awesome. A voice from heaven came saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And this voice was in response to Jesus saying, Father, glorify your name. And the thing that is, I mean, first of all, it's pretty awesome that God all of a sudden spoke into time. Like, that's, that's pretty cool. But look how the crowd responds. They think it's thunder. God speaks, and they hear thunder. God says, I glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. And Jesus even goes on to say, it's not for my benefit, but it's for the benefit of the people. And the people only heard thunder. It would almost be in a sense that if I were to um, go to propose to Christina, did all the right things, you know, went down on one knee, brought out the box, started to show her the ring, and she were to say, what are you doing? What's that? You got a ring in that box? Well, this is not how you propose. What are you doing? Like, this is not how it works. Like, this is what the people are doing. I mean, could you imagine if you went to propose to someone and they were that critical of your offer? I mean, that's a pretty vulnerable moment, right? I mean, you're, you're down on your knee and you're looking up and you're saying, I love you, I want to be with you, will you be my wife? And you're like, you know, you're at the mercy of a yes or no, right? It's really vulnerable, right? for guys to get there and here jesus is saying like i'm here willing to give my life for you and they're like yeah no no thanks we don't want that god even enters the picture right god even comes in and is like yeah so everybody this is my son and i'm gonna i'm gonna do this for you through him you know, it would be like if I'm down on my knee proposing and a stranger comes in and is like, uh, girl, he's trying to propose to you. He's asking you to marry him. And she's like, no, he's not. Come on. Like, this is not how it happens. Like, God speaks into this moment and they're still like, oh, was that, was that thunder? Like, did somebody hear something? Like, the ignorance that comes with what what God's trying to say, what Jesus is there for. And the thing that hurts is that Jesus loves them so much. Jesus wants them to get it. Jesus yearns for them to know how much he loves them. And yet their hearts are too hard to get it. They don't understand. So the voice goes Jesus says that it's time for the son of man to be lifted up and the people question him yet again no longer is he now the messiah but so 
he's the son of man, who's the son of man? What does that mean? And so they start just picking apart everything he says, trying to understand, trying to force him into the expectation, force him into the mold, because they're not willing or able to look at themselves and see that they need someone to give their life so that they may have life. And Jesus, in his true fashion, in, in obedience to his Father, and in a extreme depth of love and compassion for the people, he doesn't even begin the debate. He doesn't even argue with them. He just continues to extend the invitation. He continues to stay on that knee and offer this option to them to join them in a co covenanted relationship so that they can know him in a deep and intimate way. And he says, you are going to have the light just a while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. He again, he extends the offer to walk in light. Chapter 12 continues, and I'm going to read 37 to um, the end for you. Because it really highlights the issue that is going on between the people and Jesus in this moment. It's an issue of believing and not believing. And it's an issue of accepting the invitation or rejecting it and turning it away. And how that directly relates in our lives and in our ability to live in that light that Jesus is inviting us to exist. Verse 37 says, Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fill, fill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. See, there it is, right? There's the offer again, right? Like, you're stubborn, you're, you're in your ways, but if you would just turn, like I would heal you, if you would just recognize that I'm here to invite you into the light and accept, I would heal you. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him because of the Pharisees. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. See, there we go again, right? We're talking about how the Pharisees, all of a sudden, they think everybody's for Jesus now. But yet, look how much control they still have. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. And so Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So we're left with this huge question, right? Are you going to say yes to the invitation 
or no? It's a huge question. Because it's a question that means so much for our lives. And it's a really hard question. I mean, marriage is an exciting thing, right? Being proposed to is, is, can be fun, as long as you want that to happen. If you don't, well, that's rough. But um, it, it's meant to be an exciting thing. And there's that moment, right? Where she has to recognize, if I say yes, I'm saying yes to a lifelong commitment with this man. To going through hard times and good times. It means that I learn how to live with someone else that's going to rub me the wrong way sometimes. And sometimes it's going to help me out in immense ways, right? And it's going to be an awesome blessing. And it's that same thing in us. We need to recognize that we have darkness in our lives and that we need the light of Jesus Christ to begin to illuminate that. And that's a scary thing because sometimes we don't want to admit that we actually have levels of darkness in our lives. And when that light illuminates, it makes us do one of two things. We either run to it because we know we need it or we run from it because we just can't stand the fact that it shows the darkness in our lives. Origen has a pretty um, great quote when it comes to this. He says, The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. The same light that comes from Jesus heals and hardens. And God sent us his son the way he did so that his son would be able to make that journey and arrive at the cross at the appointed time that God had ordained so that our lives and this present moment could experience his Holy Spirit. It's an awesome picture. But we still are left with the question today. The invitation still stands. The, the Greeks here, they were beginning to, to see it, right? They wanted to speak with him. They wanted to seek Jesus more. The Jews, we can see in them that it got hardened, right? That light that was illuminating the darkness in their lives hardened their hearts. So much so that only a few days later when Jesus is standing before him, they are yelling fiercely to crucify him on that cross. Because it hurts when we have an expectation of someone and they don't fulfill it. But the reality is we need to realize that it's not about our expectations, but it's about who Jesus is and who he wants to be in our life. And that means that we have to enter into that light. And when we enter into that light, we recognize that there is darkness in our lives. And that light only leads to the death of that darkness. And when we have put so much hope and so much security of our, our own personal self in that darkness, it's really scary to walk in that light. 
Because whatever is stuck in that darkness, whatever wants to shadow us in that way, needs to go. And so the invitation to walk in the light is an invitation to die to ourselves, to walk the path that Jesus walked. And if anybody came up to me today and was like, hey, I'm going to go die over there. Why don't you come with me because I'm a really good person? I don't think that I'd be that excited about it. I don't think that I would be like, yeah, let me do that. But when we are able to see who Christ wants to be in our lives and when we are able to see and understand what it means when Jesus dies on that cross and his blood is shed, then we're able to understand that the darkness does not have hope. The darkness doesn't care about me. But the light does. And just like the sun melts wax, it melts that darkness away and it offers a healing and a cleansing that no one else can provide. And so the invitation is there. He's down on one knee. you know me and my wife, you know that when I was there, she said yes. And it's been a journey ever since. (laughs) You know, full of incredible moments and full of some tough ones too. That because of the commitment that we have to each other, we've been able to be better persons for it. And that's what it is. It's an invitation to walk in his light Because he just wants you to be the best person you can be. He has your best interest at heart. And he wants you to see him for the love that he has for your life. And I don't care how much darkness you think you have in your life. His light can heal it all. Would you pray with me?